We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 137. My host... Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 137. My co-host, Paul Zimmerman, couldn't be with me today. On today's show, I bring on someone to talk about going full digital on a field project for the first time. Let's get to it. All right, so welcome to the show, everybody. As I said, Paul couldn't join me today, but instead, I'm out here in the field between weeks two and three, hopefully the last week of a field project that my company, DigTech, is running in northeastern Nevada. And my wife, recently changing careers from her old desk job to basically full-time RV living and crafting, (laughs) is also a full-time archaeologist or a qualified archaeologist. And she hasn't worked in the field full-time for a long time, but let's bring her on. Rachel Roden, how's it going? Hello. Yes. We're sitting in our newish-to-us RV um, here in northeastern Nevada at a trailer park. RV park, I should say, not trailer park. <laughs> I mean, some people and look like they live here full-time, so maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's actually really nice here. We're surrounded by beautiful mountains, and the weather's been mostly pretty yeah. good, so it's nice up here. Yeah. So this is going to be a short episode, partly because Paul couldn't be here, but I did want to just talk about something real quick and and kind of get Rachel's thoughts on it because a lot of people when we're talking about going full digital in the field they get really apprehensive about that and rightly so because there's a lot of different programs and applications you can use you've got to learn them you got to use them right everybody has seen or done themselves like screwed up a total station in the field because they're incredibly complex and you use them like once a year same thing with Trimbles. I mean, every time I get a Trimble GPS, I've got to like relearn how to use mm-hmm. it because I just don't use it every day. And so it's understandable if you're going to go full digital that you need to really just learn what you're doing. Well, I kind of threw Rachel into this. She's basically a crew chief out here. I haven't been in the field that much at all. It's been her and a colleague of ours and doing most of the work. Now, she's been on a couple of projects where we have done some digital recording before, but she hasn't been fully in charge of the whole process and just kind of thrust into the, to the meat of it. And we're using essentially three critical pieces of gear, I guess four if you want to include the iPad, but uh, three critical pieces here to, to make all this work. So first, Rachel, since you have done this stuff a little bit before, uh, why don't you just give us a little bit of your background in archaeology, the the break that you've taken from doing archaeology like this, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So I got my degree in 2005. So I've been qualified to do archaeology since then. And that's actually where we met, is we met on a project mm-hmm. a couple, you know, not too long after we started, or after I had my degree, we met and started doing archaeology together. So I had quite a few years of CRM fieldwork under my belt when I decided to take a break and pursue a different career path for a while. That was around 2011, 12, I think, that yeah. I, I stopped doing it. So when I left field work um, to to go a different direction for a while, we were still in full-on paper mode. Every company I worked for had all kinds of paper, handwritten, paper, pencil, the whole thing. And 
it feels like it is very different now compared to then because I don't think I even have a piece of paper in my bag. Oh wait, the mm. maps. I've got I've got paper copies of the maps. Only because um, the mind gave them to you. Only because the mind gave them to me. Although they have been somewhat useful because she's yeah. drawn the roads and stuff on there for right. me. So, you know, they were useful pieces of paper, but yeah, I really don't have any paper. I don't even think I have a pencil in my bag or a pen. Probably not. So mm-hmm. definitely very different from what it was, you know, almost ten years ago when I stopped working in the field. So it's been quite an adjustment. However, it's been so great. I love it. It's so nice to only have one small iPad, an iPad mini, and my phone. And that's all we need to do all of the survey, all the recording, everything. So let's talk about what we're using. So we'll do the one that we've talked about a lot first, WildNote. So we're using WildNote to do all of the uh, site recording, isolate recording, field notes. Uh, we've got a very special area out here that's very sloped, so we created on the fly uh, a special slope write-off notes form so we can justify our slope exclusions. Everybody's pretty much familiar with that, unless you've only worked on playas before, or in the unless you're a plains archaeologist, then you don't even know what the heck we're talking about. Yeah, but, slope. Uh, <laughs> what slope? <laughs> but anyway... So we're using WildNote for that, in, and we also have all of the previously recorded site records in WildNote. The other cool thing about what we're doing on this project is we're, we're, we've split this project into thirds with two other companies, and we're all using WildNote. So all the site records are in there, all the forms are going in the same place, and everything's coming back. In my company, DigTech, we're, we're all, each company is taking a different facet of the post-production of this thing, from report GIS to site records, and DigTech is running the site records. So as those guys are recording sites, we'll go in and review them make sure they're ready for GIS to add their information. And when that all gets done, we can send it over to the report writer uh, who's going to basically you know, use that information to write the report, submit the site records, and so on. So you've, you've used WildNote before. That's mm-hmm. not really a new facet of this whole thing? No, no. I've used it a couple times over the years with you because even though I took a break doing a different career for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I still had my toes in it because I was still helping you with your company when you needed help. And I didn't really want to like let go of archaeology completely. So yeah. I have some experience with WildNote. Yeah. So that's not anything new. And you're using your phone for that. Mm-hmm. An iPhone 8 Plus. Yeah. Have you had any battery issues? Um, only when I forget to plug it in, <laughs> <laughs> which is totally my fault. Yeah. No, my phone is coming up on two years old now. So it definitely doesn't hold a charge. Is it longer than that? It might. Maybe might it's three, three years. years. Oh, yeah. God, I don't know. It's it's definitely coming up on the end of its life, though. And I have to be careful that I plug it in every time we're in the vehicle. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of driving for this project, fortunately, because there's small chunks of area that we're jumping around to. So I have plenty of opportunity to keep it charged. And when I don't do that, it's my fault. So. But you have a battery in your backpack. <laughs> I do. Yeah. We've got these external batteries that are really powerful and will charge up my phone. And it charges it up in like... 10 minutes or something too. It's very fast and it works great. Yeah, it's the Zero Lemon 30,000 milliamp um, Mm -hmm. external battery. It'll actually charge four devices at one time. Yeah, I think I did have the iPad and the phone plugged into it at one point because I forgot to charge both of them on our lunch break. (laughs) Like, a really, really smart human. (laughs) It's hard to find good help these days. (laughs) Anyway, so... Whatever, it worked. (laughs) I know. So then the other thing that we're doing here is we're using the iPad mini uh, for our, basically all our GIS. It's the GPS because it, it does have the cellular plan, but we don't have a cellular plan on it. But when you get an iPad... With a cellular antenna, you get as a byproduct the GPS antenna. Now, the GPS antenna is not, you know, sub-meter. It's, right. what, three to five meter, I think, typically, is what they say. Yeah. And, and that's pretty typical, especially out here, too, when you got such uh, rugged terrain. Uh, it's just not picking up because it... 
and GPS antennas on tablets, while they will read GPS satellites, they often rely on cellular towers to keep their accuracy up. Mm-hmm. So they they kind of kind of a hybrid model going on there. But we also have an EOS Arrow 100 external Bluetooth GPS with a backpad mounted um, antenna. So. That's the first time you've used that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process is just turn it on. It connects with the iPad immediately, and then you turn on the EOS app, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you just to make sure you're getting a signal and you're getting all that stuff. So how's how's just using? You haven't really had to use that much because we haven't done much site recording. But how's that yeah. been going? I've only used it when I knew we were hiking in some place that we wouldn't go back to. So it's been just a couple times where I've actually strapped it into the backpack and took mm-hmm. it with me. And, but it's been great and I can really see the accuracy. My favorite was um, I had set my backpack down. And one of the things to know about this is that the point is taken wherever the antenna is. So if you set your backpack down and walk away from it, then all of your points will be at your backpack rather than <laughs> where you are. So I had kind of forgotten about that and I set my backpack yeah. down and then Richie called me over to take a point and I walked over there and he's like, oh, you need the backpack. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. So I went to grab it and he could literally follow me from 10 meters away walking to where he was, where I needed to take your, your the dot point at. Yeah, my dot was moving towards him. Yeah. So it was accurate enough. So that's how we know we're getting really, really great like submeter yeah. accuracy is that he watched my dot from just 10 meters away, walked towards him. So nice. yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's that's how we're getting our submeter accuracy. And then to actually record all this stuff, we're using an app I've talked about several times in the last couple episodes called Touch GIS. Now, I won't really go into that. Just go listen to our back episodes, look at my app of the day, and, and we kind of do a refresh on that. But Rachel had never really used Touch GIS before, and and really not GIS at all, to be, to be honest. Yeah, you know, not you just, too much. You just don't have a heavy GIS experience. Mm-hmm. And so how has the experience using Touch GIS been for the first time? It's been really great. It's very user-friendly. And there's been a couple times where I was like, oh, I wish I could just like, you know, draw a shape around this and, you know make a note on it or turn it a color or do something to visually know that I've been to this area or I haven't been to that area or whatever. And, um, you very quickly showed me how to draw a polygon. And once I learned how to do that, I've been able to just draw all over these maps in whatever way I wanted to, to make, you know, to keep track of the different areas we were going to or where we needed to go back to and stuff like that. So that was super easy. And then Richie, who's been working with us, he has been kind of helping me navigate and stuff. And he figured out how to just like take a track on the fly, just take a track while we were driving so that we could map our roads and our routes and get to these places. So both of us, I think, found it very user friendly and really easy to just sort of on the fly figure out how to use it. Didn't even have to like read some manual or Mm -hmm. have anybody give us training. We just sort of played with it and figured it out. Yeah. So to set this up, I basically cached some background satellite maps at various resolutions, which seem to be enough for what you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. So because we aren't connected to the internet, we we do have surprisingly good cell service out in the field. So if you wanted to tether for a little while, you could probably do that and then download Mm -hmm. some other maps and stuff, but we haven't needed to do that. So we've got that on there. And then we've also got basically four other things that we're keeping track of. One is the parcels because we've got a bunch of different parcels that we're recording. So the parcel maps the parcel outlines and then the surveyable areas within those parcels are also another layer uh, in there because we have a, a 30% and plus slope exclusion. And that was calculated in GIS and then brought over. Because mm-hmm. this will just pick up shape files from my, my Dropbox folder. That's how I set all this stuff up. 
And then we are also using it for, as you mentioned, uh, roads and then just to mark out, to basically take notes, mark mm-hmm. out your surveyable areas that are ground truth, because sometimes the math doesn't work out when you look at the GIS. You're like, oh, I can actually survey this area or no, I can't actually survey this area. And then you're using it to mark off stuff that's totally complete because it's a mm-hmm. complex project area with, I think, like 14 different parcels or something like that. Yeah. And that's just our portion of it. And that's our yeah, portion. Yeah. yeah. And they're all different sizes. They're all over the place. And, mm-hmm. you know, one day you're hitting this portion of one because it's accessible near a road. Another day you're hitting another portion because it's accessible through another one. Mm-hmm. And we're avoiding, we were, we've been avoiding some areas of some parcels because we didn't have the site records yet because there's previously recorded sites. Mm-hmm. So we're going back to those this week because now we have all those. So, and then you're also using it for site recording mm-hmm. and isolates. So we have a completely separate layer for that. Yep. Yeah. That's been so easy too. It, it's just really, it's, it's really great. I remember from my days doing archaeology before, like the Trimble person, you know, had to be this like specially trained person who knew how to, right. to use whatever program the Trimble was running and it was complicated and hard and blah, blah, blah. And with this, like I didn't, you just handed it to me and said, oh yeah, use touch GIS, figure it out. <laughs> and I did. And it was easy. So yeah, yeah, that's great. That's what I love about it. The Trimble is unnecessarily complex, probably yeah. because it uses like industry jargon from surveyors and stuff like that, that we just have to learn, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's user friendly for somebody to just pick up and use. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like you've just inherently talked about what's gone right and things mm-hmm. like that, but what would you change about this project if we could do this, if we had to do this again? Hmm. What would you add? What would you take away? You know, what would you want to just make go smoother? Well, my first question would be about the Arrow 100. Mm-hmm. Do they make a version of that that doesn't have an antenna sticking up above your backpack? Like, you know how the Trimble has the antenna just built into right. it. Do they have a version like that? Well, I, I don't know. And I don't think so. Okay. And, and the reason is because the Trimble is a pro about twice the size of the Arrow 100, and half of that thing is antenna. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, so if you wanted to build yourself a little case to hold your, your tablet and stick your Arrow 100 off the end of it, like your antenna, the Arrow 100 and the antenna, mm-hmm. and just kind of have those, then you could probably do that, but it's just, it has to be two separate pieces. Now, okay. the one thing that, like the, I got this from Anatom Geomobile Solutions. You may have heard their ads on our shows before, and uh, and we've talked about them, so go check them out. But I got the Arrow 100 from Matt Alexander over there, and one of the things he sent me as part of this was a backpack that has a tube in it made for the carbon fiber tube, so super light but very durable tube that the antenna actually attaches to. But the antenna itself is this little hockey puck looking thing. It's smaller than a hockey puck. And he, he also sent over a, like a baseball cap that has a little pouch in it for that antenna. No way. Really? Yeah. So you don't just need wear it pull, on top of your head. But you still have a coax <laughs> cable going down your back. Oh, sure. To yeah. the Aero 100. Yeah. Yeah. But you can just put that thing in the hat. And <laughs> to be honest, I tried it and it wasn't the most comfortable thing okay. to have that antenna on your head. I never tried it in the field. I just yeah, tried it yeah. in the office when he sent it to me. <laughs> That's so, awesome. So if you're down for that kind of thing, or if you have like an attachment on your hard hat or your field hat or yeah, you know, yeah. whatever, you don't need the pole. Well, that's an interesting thought because the reason I brought it up is it was one very specific circumstance and I'm not even sure most people are going to experience this, but we were hiking around an outcrop and I had to like duck under this one part of it to get to get across it to the other area that we're going to. And I totally like scraped the antenna across the top (laughs) of the outcrop that I was trying to duck underneath just because I kind of forgot how far above me it was sticking up. So a different, like a hat solution maybe would work. I don't know if it would be comfortable in the other other circumstance, but yeah. Well, that is the other thing to note is the Arrow 100 itself and the antenna 
are pretty rugged. Mm -hmm. The only, only non-rugged part of either of those is the coax cable that connects them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a basic coax cable that if you screw that up, you don't have no connection from your antenna to your device. So, yeah. um, but otherwise... Yeah, I mean it's um and and you don't need to have the the Aero 100 like I think I had it in the side pouch on the backpack. You can literally stick it wherever you want. It can be inside the backpack, it can be wherever because mm -hmm. the antenna is the only thing that needs to be out. Mm -hmm. And the antenna is where the GPS location is being taken from. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think the Aero 100 might pick up a basic GPS location without the antenna attached, but I think you need the antenna attached to pick up the the more like submeter. Well, submeter and like the the corrected locations. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, that's one thing we can't really fix right now because that's mm -hmm. just where the technology is. But I, I mean, the real fix to that is I've heard this for the past year, but I haven't seen any cell phone manufacturer talking about it. But I've heard of submeter GPS antennas coming in smartphones in the next oh, couple wow. years. Oh, wow. That would be amazing. That yeah, would knock, changer. it would knock down what you needed in the field to basically one thing. Yeah. It would take out several industries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be nice because I, I don't mind carrying the iPad around. But again, so this, I guess this could go into the category of not problems necessarily, but just things that I had to be aware of. And when we're working in a very slopey area, clearly, and sometimes we're crossing very steep slopes to get over to a flatter area that we need to survey or whatever. And my tendency is to carry the GPS and my phone just in my hand together because I'm, you know, referencing one or the other as we go to, to find the right area. But mm -hmm. some of these places were, were just too steep for me to safely navigate the region and also hold this stuff in my hands. So I would have to stop and put it away in my backpack or whatever. My phone, I could fit in my pocket, but the iPad, I, there was no pocket big enough for that. So it would be really cool if eventually it could all just be on my phone and then I could throw yeah. it in my pocket when I needed both hands to climb up a slope or whatever. I mean, by the time it gets to there, I'll just be on a drone and we'll just sit back here in the RV and <laughs> let the robots do the work for us. I mean, I don't hate that idea. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back for one final wrap up on this and we'll be back in a second. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on, and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months, or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code Archaeotech. That's A-R-C-H-A-E-O-T-E-C-H. Looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field? Then check out An Introduction to Paleoradiography, a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines. Created by archaeologist, radiographer, and lecturer James Elliott, the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education. It is approved by the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists as four hours of training. That's in the UK, for those of you that don't know. So don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development. For more information on pricing and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 137. And we're just going to wrap up this discussion. Again, it's not going to be a full episode, and we have no app of the day because it's all apps today. So, I mean, basically. True. <laughs> yeah. So, so, any final thoughts on this stuff? Yeah, just like one more thing about the arrow. If you leave it on all day, like I did have it on all day at this one point when we were doing a lot of hiking, just make sure and pop in and check that it's reading satellites because at some point I think the app might have frozen or something like that. And it mm. was just reading no satellites, no nothing whatsoever. Really? Yeah. So I just killed the app and restarted it and then it was fine. But I can only imagine it was because I had had it on earlier in the day and then, you know, put the iPad away for lunch or something like that and then came back to it and I needed to restart it. So so the one I got came with a bright orange, in case you lose it, case that holds the Air 100 and it can clip onto your belt or something like that. And it's designed to sit so that it faces up with all its lights on. It should have, mm-hmm. I think, basically four lights on from Bluetooth, GPS, differential, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So all those lights should be on. And if all those lights are on, theoretically, it should be reading. You might not have to go back to the app. But also, depending on the app you're Bluetoothing it to, uh, well, you're Bluetoothing it to your device, but whatever app you're reading the information with, that app may have some indication that it's receiving the Bluetooth signal mm-hmm. inside of it. Like if you're using the, honestly, if you're using Terraflex from Trimble, I think that app does it. I think Gaia might do it. But one of the things that we have to be conscious of here is, is WildNote will read the Bluetooth antenna from the Aero 100, and so does TouchGIS. Mm-hmm. But there's no indication within either of those applications that it's actually receiving that signal. Mm-hmm. You just have to know that it is. So it is good workflow to flip over to the EOS app since it's right there. Mm-hmm. And just see if it's reading any satellites. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm remembering that specific situation, I didn't have to just kill the app. I actually turned the whole antenna off and then back on again. Yeah. Because it wasn't get the it. app. That yeah. Was it wasn't the app that was a problem. It was yeah. the antenna that needed to be turned all the way off and then back on again. And then it was fine. It worked yeah. fine. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes these things, they just, you know, even Trimble's lost their satellites every once in a yeah, while. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just a, a note to just yeah. check it and make sure that you're getting the satellites that you think you are because you won't know that you're not getting that accuracy. Cause like you said, the apps yeah. have, they'll just use the antenna of the device if the, mm-hmm. the better one's not available. So, yeah. 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 That's a really good point. So uh, definitely check that before you start site recording for sure. Yeah. You know, probably doesn't matter in most other circumstances, but site recording for sure. Yep. So, all right. And I guess... Do you know there's a possibility that we are going to get a project where we're going to have two crews out there? And so we'd have probably either six or eight people. I think eight is what we're looking at for, for a budget, which means somebody's going to have the tablet and the GPS. Um, somebody's going to, everybody's going to have wild note. So do you think you'd do anything differently in that situation when we're trying to manage two crews doing kind of the same thing? Or uh, is everything, is this just scalable the way it is? It's been pretty good. I think that we would need to put a little bit more effort into um, Wild Note ahead of time just to make sure everything is organized. Like you did a pretty good job of getting things ready for the cruise, but then there were certain things that we forgot about yeah. and had to do on the fly, like adding in the previously recorded site numbers as a, a drop down option mm-hmm. um, in Wild Note. So I think we would probably need to just sit down and have a conversation like, OK, what are what is everything that these crews are going to need? within wild note in the field so that they don't get out there and get confused. Cause you know what a crew is going to do when they get out there and get confused, especially if they don't have cell service, they're just going to do something Yeah, and whatever they do, <laughs> whether it is grab a piece of paper and just start recording on paper or do it in wild note and do it in a totally wrong or messed up way. Either way, the, the more we can do to mitigate that and keep it from happening, 
um, I think would be good. So just a little bit more pre-planning and organization. Yeah. My personal assistant and my field director both really dropped the ball on that one. So I don't know. <laughs> wait, I have to tell you. Oh, is that me? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, yeah. field. Man, I got a promotion on this podcast. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Hey. <laughs> Started out as crew chief. Now it's field director. Good to nice. know. <laughs> In reality, you're all just crew. So, <laughs> wow. Anyway, yeah. So, so that's good feedback, and I think also a little bit from my side is we. I did put into Wildnote like a full parcel map of all the parcels for all three companies because we had that. But the mine did print out some 11 by 17 nice maps with just our areas in it for you. Mm-hmm. And we should have just asked for those as a PDF, mm-hmm. and then you could have put them into Wildnote because there's another application that we've used pretty consistently for other stuff. That would have been good for that, um, which is I annotate. Oh, true. Yeah. And yeah. I've talked about that a lot in the past. And I ran a really big project uh, about five years ago where I annotate was, I mean, all the crews were going to I annotate because we had 30,000 acres that we were surveying and 15,000 acres on the project before that. But we did the same process on both where the prime contractor actually took each one of those areas and basically made an eight and a half by 10, eight and a half by 11 map and just cut this up into a whole bunch of little sections that you could fit onto a map at the same scale. Well, they said they were going to, you know, print up multiple copies of this so we could all have it. I was like, how about you just send me one PDF and then I'll put it on all the tablets. And that's what I did. And every day I would Every night, actually, I would get with my um, the field director I had on that project, and we would decide, okay, what are the crews doing tomorrow? We finishing up these areas, and then we would actually line out the transects, and just just so we could map out acreage, not so we could tell people what to do. But we were like, we know about how much acreage we're getting, so how much can we plan to get tomorrow? Are they going to finish that and have to go to another section? So we'd highlight those pages, and then bring those into the other application that we were using out of I annotate. But if you wanted to do it in I annotate, you could actually just mark out like as a crew chief when I was out there, I would just mark out what we did and just draw mm-hmm. it out. And you, a lot of times at breaks and stuff, I would use the line feature and literally just draw out my transects, not every transect, but the starting transects because mm-hmm. we knew we were 30 meters off each one of those. So I would say, okay, we need one at hundred meters, 180, you know, 250, whatever it is. And I would line those out and then that way we would all have it. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been really nice too for, uh, the road situation oh, out yeah. here because we were taking tracks on roads as we drove them to figure out access but there's a couple times where we hit a point where we just couldn't drive any further the road got too bad and had to turn around and go back mm-hmm. but we're taking track on it so that track is still on the map and there's no way to know just looking at it that that road is actually bad don't drive it yeah but if i would putting it and i annotate that would have been a good a good easy way to keep track of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. okay Well, I think that about does it then. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, hopefully reassuring for some. Uh, You do have to think about the suite of applications that you're using. It it all can't be done in one these days. Um, Not yet. If you you wanted to get everything done the right way, there still is a a multi-step process to some of the stuff. And some of you might disagree and say, well, in Trimble, I can, you know, basically use Windows CE to make forms and record data and stuff. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. Gross. Because you can't share it. Only one person can enter anything, Mm -hmm. you know, so... Uh, and there's other stuff that's similar to that. The the advantage to using Wildnote is each person on your crew can be doing a different 
part of the site recording, and then it all comes together when you do the export automatically, pictures, mm-hmm. everything. So I don't know of any other application that allows for that division of labor, labor, but then bringing it back in at the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Collector doesn't do that either, or Survey123, I should say. It's just forms. So you still have to do the work to bring it all together yourself. And while you can probably take pictures in there, it's not making photo logs for you, I'll tell you that. No, the photo log thing is pretty, pretty yeah. game-changing. Yeah. yeah. So... Anyway, oh, oh, and one other cool thing too is WildNote is again I'm a consultant for WildNote, so full disclosure. But and partly because of that, I can get some changes made pretty quickly. And one of the changes I'm having made because I knew it was a problem in the past, but I hadn't really done enough work for it to be enough for me to escalate it. But basically, the Nevada IMAX forms were built by the BLM. So in some parts of the form, it says like BLM site number, BLM report number, um, BLM district and field office. Well. The Forest Service up here also uses the IMAX forms, and they don't have their own. They just have the IMAX forms. And WildNotes export just exports the actual agency form. So the Forest Service archaeologist in this particular forest had asked me to change BLM to UFS, USFS because she didn't want it to say BLM because it's not BLM. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So my PDF reader, I just put a white block over it and I changed it to USFS because there's no other way to do it. Because WildNote exports, I mean, we can export Word documents, but it's, you know, it's not our fault. It's just like making a PDF into a Word document is is janky at best. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's always formatting issues. But what I'm having WildNote do right now is basically put a question in on the top of the IMAX form that says, what is the managing agency, BLM Mm -hmm. or Forest Service? And if it's BLM, you see the BLM questions. If it's Forest Service, you see the Forest Service questions. And then the export, that I could have done it all along. That's easy. I can make that into any form, right? That's just form building. But what's hard is the export is only looking at the BLM questions right now. Now the export's going to look at that switch and say, okay, which question set do I need to look at? And then pull that over. I don't really know how the dev works. It might just be looking for one with data in it. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But that can't be true because the data could be empty. So it must be looking at the switch. I don't know. Now we're getting in the weeds. But the mm-hmm. point is, they're a very receptive company to change and modification if it benefits other people. And this is a change that will benefit anyone working on Forest Service land. So, so that begs the question, though. Are the only two options BLM or Forest Service land, or could there be a third one out there that you're not thinking of that might cause a problem for another company down the road? Well, the nice thing about building this structure into the form right now is you could just easily add another you can option. can just add another one. Yeah, because the structure doesn't exist right now. Right. But we're going to build the structure, and then you could add another option. Mm. Now, the export would have to be mapped to that option. That's not a trivial task. That is some dev time. Mm-hmm. But if it's if we get a lot of people or a client that's you know doing a big project on some other land and they need that, mm-hmm. Then we'll do it. Cool. But generally, the only options are BLM or Forest Service in this state. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm trying to think of other options, and I can't really come up with any, but I'm, there's yeah. weird circumstances out there all the time, so who knows? Well, to be honest, I've recorded sites over near Reno on private land, mm-hmm. but it says BLM site number. There's, oh, yeah. There's no BLM number. Right. It's a SHPO number. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. the SHPO always assigns site numbers, but the BLM and the Forest Service assign their own site numbers as well. So yeah. there's a state site number. And then the agency number, and those forms just had blanks in the agency number spot. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but it still said BLM, mm-hmm. <laughs> but nobody complained. So, 
All right. Well, that's it. Let's hear your field stories on tech. So send me an email, Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. You can also find Paul and I's Twitter handles on the show notes, which is at arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeotech forward slash 137 or any episode number because it's always there. So let us know what you're using. Let us know what you're doing. Um, I want to hear if anybody's using QField. Um, one of the other companies out here is going to use that. That's the new-ish. Um, I think it's new by like this year sometime. Field recording application for QGIS. That's what I really wanted to use instead of touch GIS, but QField is only for Android right now. So QField is free just like uh, QGIS is, and it's supposed to work with QGIS the way that Collector works with Esri. So um, because Collector is an Esri app. So which is not a really ringing endorsement because it's garbage. But um, <laughs> I think QField would be a more direct way to get your stuff into the GIS. Here we can still export shape files, but then we've got to put them somewhere and then drag them into the um, drag them into whatever GIS you're using. So anyway, that's it. So thanks, and again, send us your stories and suggestions, and we'll be back again next week. Thanks. Bye. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Thanks for listening to the Architect Podcast. Links to items mentioned on the show are in the show notes at www.arcpodnet.com slash Archaeotech. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com and paul at lugal.com. Support the show by becoming a member at arcpodnet.com slash members. The music is a song called Off-Road and is license-free from Apple. Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.